In this episode, we had the privilege of attending a press briefing at the Clinton Global Initiative with a remarkable panel of speakers deeply engaged in humanitarian efforts for Ukraine. Our guests include Olga Rudniva, CEO of the Superhuman Center in Lviv, Ukraine, a cutting-edge hospital specializing in prosthetics, facial reconstruction, and PTSD treatment for war-injured individuals. We're also joined by acclaimed actor, director, and writer Liev Schreiber, who co-founded Blue Check Ukraine in response to the Russian invasion, fostering cross-cultural understanding through his work. Also, Mikola Kuleba, former ombudsman for children with the president of Ukraine and the driving force behind Save Ukraine, an initiative aimed to evacuate and provide humanitarian aid and housing to families and children in war zones. Additionally, we'll hear from Lauren Flanagan, co-founder, chair, and CEO of Sesame Solar. Sesame Solar's groundbreaking technology, including 100% renewable mobile nanogrids, provides clean off-grid power to communities utilizing solar and green hydrogen. In this episode, we dive into the humanitarian efforts in Ukraine, the impact of the Russian invasion, and innovative solutions that are making a difference. So just by way of frame, so I've been asked to frame, my name is Liev Schreiber, and I am one of the co-founders of an organization called uh, Blue Check Ukraine, which identifies vets and fast tracks uh, aimed to humanitarian organizations in Ukraine who are doing the lion's share of the work we should. And uh, two of the groups that I've worked intimately with, um, both uh, Superhumans and Satan Crane, um, are, are, are partners of ours. And um, uh, they make commitments uh, for this year, and um, they're here to announce them. Superhumans um, contacted me Almost a year ago now. More than, more than a year ago, yeah. To ask if I would be an ambassador. At that point, I was just trying to figure out whatever I could do to help. One of the blessings of celebrity is that you don't have to do much. Sure enough, here we are a year later. They're operational. They're extraordinarily successful. Uh, Save Ukraine is another organization that I just think one of the most special all providers of humanitarian aid and support out there, particularly for, particularly for children. So I'll let them tell uh, you about their minutes and their organization. Um, shall, I, shall I start? Yeah. I will, first, I want to say that we need more people like Liv who will be able to come to Ukraine and actually address the issue and draw attention to the situation in Ukraine. Because unless you go to Ukraine and see what is going on there, you can't relate to that. It's this war is just too... Uh, Unreal. A uh, year ago, we decided that, uh, that that group of individuals, like three individuals, decided to do that hospital for prosthetics, rehabilitation, and psychological support for those people who bought their limbs. Because we realized that there's going to be many people in Ukraine who would be amputees and will need prosthetics. So with this idea, we actually stepped into this endeavor. Um, we were at CGI last year to announce a commitment. And a year later, we opened in April 15. We fitted more than 200 people with high quality prosthetics. And um, just to bring you statistics, right now in Ukraine, 20,000 people need prosthesis, and it's double, triple amputees. I want to give you that number of lost limbs because it's really terrifying. Also, 40% of Ukrainian territory is mined right now. It's just so size of Australia, meaning that if the war stops tomorrow, we're going to have amputees for years from now. So it's quite a big problem, uh, and we need to put people back on their feet as soon as possible. But the service have to be complete. We have to start with psychological support, 
feed people with the prosthetics and then do rehabilitation cycle just to teach people how to walk. And then if we want to increase adherence to the fertilizers, which is very, very important, we need to find the reason for these people to leave their apartments. Because I know it sounds very crazy, but no one needs a leg, no one needs a hand. You need a lab to go somewhere and hand, you know, to, to hug someone. So that's why we need to give a reason for our patients to leave their apartments and to wear their you know, expensive prosthesis. So that's why we added one more service, uh, which is reintegration, finding the job and education for our uh, veterans, ex-military guys. And we are scaling up to five more regions because the need is so big in Ukraine. So that's what we're doing. We did it over the year and we are so thankful to people who trusted us a year ago. Like, you can join us as ambassador and uh, that the Clinton Global Initiative gave us a stage to actually to announce our candidate. So if you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit about the, the cultural component, the stigma and how superhumans is also working. Um, yeah, we, uh, we are trying to to deliver the message to Ukrainians that we want to be a country where it's going to be a lot of people with disabilities on the streets and it's all normality. So we have to accept that lots of people will have artificial legs and artificial hands and we need people to look at and see it as a new normal. So we are trying to promote this new aesthetic. It's cool. You know, the superhumans are having cool hands. Very, very soon we're going to have our temporary tattoos which is like a double on the whole hand, uh, which is mimicking, you know, the actually the prosthetics. Uh, we want it to become fashionable. You know, we want kids to not to be scared, but to ask great questions. So we teach people how to, to address that. We teach people how to ask the right question, not what your prosthesis can do. And saying like, what you can do with your prosthesis, you know, because it's the person who is actually moving the hand and, and some people kind of you uh, tell to our patients, get well. And they're like, listen, my, my leg is not going to regrow and I'm not sick. So we're teaching people how to communicate with people for both their legs and arms. But we're trying to make it new standard, new normal, because we're going to be country with a lot of amputees. And we want to explain that it's it's uh, it's not about, you know, being ashamed of your prosthesis. It's how you're proud, because that's how you actually find it for Ukrainian independence. Lori, do you want to? Sure. Here. Hi, Lauren Flanagan. I'm co-founder and CEO of Sesame Solar, and we are decarbonizing disaster response and off-grid power. We make mobile nanogrids that can be set up by one person in 15 minutes. And what's a nanogrid? It's either in the shipping container, like an ISO shipping container, or a trailer. It has a retractable solar array, has battery storage, and breathe hydrogen. We also do an atmospheric water generation. So this is a mobile power center. It could actually power your prosthetic uh, making, leg making. We need to power, um, sorry for interrupting, uh, we need to power prosthetics itself because a lot of them need charging. And they charge them. Yeah, that's what we need. Charge your bike, your car, your whatever. Your prosthetics. Your electronic knee. Yeah. So it's mobile power for devices, medical equipment. And uh, also we generate water from air. So we can have clean water either distilled or we can make the water we need to make the green hydrogen. So it's been my personal desire for last year to try to get four of our nanogrids into Ukraine. 
One would be a mobile medical hub that would be maternal and neonatal care. So it would have a lot of equipment. As you know, many hospitals have been damaged. A lot of maternity wards and hospitals have been destroyed. And the others would be mobile power. We teamed up with another group, which is uh, Direct Relief. It's a large medical charity. And they have on the ground in Ukraine different uh, nonprofits that they've been supplying medical equipment and supplies for the last since the war began. Uh, actually, they're one of the largest uh, private donors. And so we're using the CGI network to reach out, get out, let people know what we want to do to help get some donations so we can do this. We will, we will donate a lot of it and do some of it at cost. These are expensive pieces of equipment, but they are energy independent. They can save lives and run indefinitely, and we would train and help everybody do it. So we would put little mobile power plants in four different regions of Ukraine. So we're excited about this because we know we're going to help save some lives, help people with rehabilitation needs, help them with power needs, um, you know, just any kind of humanitarian aid that can be done. So this is very high-tech stuff, right? But it's something that is going to impact lives. And uh, we're here to share this and see who wants to help us. You're farther ahead, much farther ahead. You've got your ambassador. But we're looking for people who want to help us with this program to be successful in Ukraine. And I was my personal commitment that before the end of this year, we would do something and worth. Thank you so much. My, my colleagues told you a lot about very important issues because many Ukrainian soldiers dying and losing their limbs and they are saving lives. But all of them have relatives, especially children, who suffer being separated from their families. And it, it is very hard. I never could imagine, and now I can imagine, how many Ukrainian children now suffer. Just now, we are talking with you in combat zones or in control, different control areas, because no any safe areas anymore in Ukraine. But I was reporting today that 1.5 million of Ukrainian children were kidnapped and deported, uh, accompanied, unaccompanied, or stays on occupied territories. And we, sh we must talk not only about that kids who been kidnapped from orphanages, what is it the crime, but call that kids who are living under the Russians and they indoctrinate the kingdom every day. Uh, on the other hand, that kids who live uh, in Ukraine on controlled territories, they suffer a lot. They have uh, huge educational losses. They have huge traumas. Many of these families divided and, the, and families surviving and with no humanitarian support and they looking for a place to live. And that's why says Ukraine organization, which I founded after first invasion 2014, uh, is the biggest rescue network for rescuing kids from combat zones and especially that kids who been kidnapped from Russia. And uh, we provide different kind of support, different programs, but our strategy is rescue, restore, and rebuild. We are rescuing them that we uh, provide 
psychosocial support and housing in our Hope and Healing Centers. We have seven Hope and Healing Centers all over Ukraine. And uh, three usually deep program. Or, or, yes, or... it's deprogramming for that kids who've been kidnapped and who've been brainwashed, but for that kids from Amazons and yeah. who lost everything and with the parents, and we provide a housing program and it uh, provide humanitarian support to legal support because very often they have no documents and they need this support. And after that, it's our third pillar, it's to rebuild their life, to integrate them into a local community, into Ukrainian community, especially that kids who've been kidnapped. Because can you imagine a child whom you returned uh, telling, we, we, uh, I'm very amazed because I thought Ukraine not exist anymore because Russians told us that all Ukraine is invaded and it is a Russian state. And they brainwash them. They believe that in Ukraine we live Nazi. Yeah. As you know, everybody knows that I'm Nazi because I live in Ukraine. Because I'm Ukrainian, because I have Ukrainian children, I love my country. For you, for Russia, I'm a Nazi. Because they call me Nazi, but it's stupid. It's horrible what they what they doing with our kids. We return many kids who've been kidnapped and placed to Russian families. And they really, they infect them of hatred against Ukraine, towards Ukraine. That, that's why this program, what we developing, and here I'm with commitment of launching a educational and empowering community centers for children and for their families. Because it is not enough now rebuild school and to invite child to school. Many kids have no access to attend schools. In rural areas, it's 50% of children. In cities, 30% of children have online education, but another can attend schools. But it is not enough because they have traumas. 75% have a problem with mental health. Yeah, and they need somebody who will heal, who will help this child to be recovered. Another thing, it's a basic needs. It's just a meal. Yeah, many, many parents have no normal condition of life, normal water and food. That's why in our centers, we provide educational program, trauma therapy. We have psychology, social worker. We work with the family. We have positive parenting program for parents, how to, to deal with traumas, how to, we are healing them together because it's a family. Because for example, it's, it's one more example. After returning a child from combat zone, a child, the father of this boy was under the challenge, was killed because he covered his body of his son. And he died, he was killed, and we rescued these three kids from that village uh, to our Hope and Healing Center with the grandmother. That boy couldn't speak maybe six months. Mm. He couldn't speak. And wh what kind of education he needs? He needs recovery. He needs somebody who will care, who will support, and in psychologists, and 
first of all, they need the place to live. That's why it's a different puzzle. It's one picture. That's why we, um, we are building solutions for this family, for these children. We assess their needs. We, we provide support. And this our program of Educational Empowering Center is where child every day can grow. It's about safely growing of this child and and care and support and and uh, and different different programs there which will help this child grow normal. And I especially took this because we have art therapy in our centers. This picture several days after we bring this child mm. to our center. And then this picture after recovery program, children really can, we're changing that. Yeah, thank you so much. The little gifts, yeah, uh, for you, our wrestlers. You are supporters, you are supporters of Ukraine and you, you can, you can save uh, save Ukraine, really, because alone we will never be able to save Ukraine. But together with partners, with with friends, we we believe, we know, we we are sure that we will we will protect our kids. Thank you. There's a very strong sense within our organization that uh, nobody is better equipped than the Ukrainians to help themselves, and so. How do we prevent what happened in Rwanda with genocide? How do we help Ukrainians rebuild? To prevent genocide, first of all, we should be brave to tell genocide, to call it genocide, to define genocide. What Putin's doing, again, he's rescuing kids, he's feeding them, he gives money for a family with a child who support them, yeah, but he brainwashed them, he indoctrinated them, he, he uh, injected hatred against towards Ukraine and then used them as a weapon against Ukraine. What is this? Because we don't understand, oh, that was genocide, but why genocide? They totally changed this identity. They, they brainwashed them. And many of them dying at the Russian soldiers now. Because he's, he's using our kids. He cannot kill them now when social media, when next day everybody will know this. It's better brainwash kids and use them as, as a weapon against Ukraine. That, that's why, first of all, whole the civilized world should should call this genocide. It is genocide what Putin's doing again against Ukrainian children. And then to find solution, how we can prevent Ukrainian children and how we can support, how we can return, but first identify that kids who've been kidnapped and forcibly deported and live in Russia. Because we have no access to that kids. And Red Cross telling, oh, guys, we can help you. United Nations telling, we can't help you because no regulation. We have to change somebody. And Russia is a part of United Nations. No. And it is hybrid war. And that's why we need strong voice, strong international voice. It's, it's evidence what happened now with that because we are returning this case from Russia 
and they are reporting. We document these crimes. They clear reporting us that one boy whom we returned, he was he was placed to the solitary uh, confinement for one week just because he did, didn't want glorify, glorify Putin and Russia and sing Russian anthem. That's all. My take is um, that uh, I think you have to look at the problem uh, in a systemic way. And if we're going to, we could take the model of, of, of save Ukraine and what Mikola has accomplished. I would say that the first step is education. When, when we look at Rwanda, we heard that woman from Tunisia speak so eloquently today about the need for that is, is education because what's the, what's the climate that's been created that allows that kind of violence to occur. And I think, uh, as Mikola points out, Putin's, that's Putin's very cynical strategy of relying on propaganda and hatred or violence to, uh, to enact the horrors that he's enacting. And I think it's about education. And I think it, if it wasn't a state-controlled media in Russia, things would be very different. People would understand more. And I think that we can apply those models that, 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 that Mikola and Save Ukraine used to Rwanda first to re-educate, to educate people, to make sure they have a workable knowledge uh, and then also to teach them the opposite of what they've been taught, which is the idea of, of, of creating a loving and, and, and a supportive environment. For them. I want to add up here, you know, it's been a year and a half with the war in Ukraine. And, you know, we have been living in a country that has war in even us, we are just as. But I can understand the world who's living their normal life and probably it's just, you know, uh, headlines and uh, we just need more people for advocates for Ukraine and we'll need, we need more media who will keep reminding the world that every time, every moment when we sit down here and talk, someone is killed, tortured and raped in Ukraine. So, but we need media and we need people like media crews ready to get out and talk about that because the world is forgetting. I mean, it's not happening to you. There is nothing to blame, you know. I've been in Ukraine and I saw Afghanistan war on, on TV and it was too far away for me, you know, until it became my personal issue. I could never imagine how it is, you know, to live through the war. And I was just, you know, honestly sitting, getting chips and looking on TV and thinking, oh, that's horrible. Let's switch to another channel. And now I am this person who is waking up to air sirens every morning. Now I am the person who thinks that the world is very... You know, unfair to me, but for all to sleep, it's, you know, it's life. It's okay. If someone took our life away, it doesn't mean that it should took lives away from the rest of the world. I understand that. But I want the world to know that we are still fighting. We are still mm -hmm. trying to fight our, you know, for our independence. And I just mm -hmm. want the world to remember from time to time that they can be with some help, you know, to Ukrainian kids, to Ukrainian uh, mothers and, uh, uh, that's the role of media and uh, big names uh, and Hollywood stars to remind about that because otherwise it's just headlines. One of the things that I love about being American is this idea of that there are many Americans who don't come from somewhere else. And we owe that debt to our grandparents, to our ancestors. We gave us the opportunity that we have now to stand up for the things that we believe in. And I think that right now the Ukrainians are... Um, engaged in a struggle for our values uh, and I think they're being challenged in our own country. Authoritarian regimes are popping up all over the place, authoritarian politics. To see this country push back against 
authoritarianism and bullies. And everyone had said, the first week, Kiev, and fall. look where we are now. And this is a, a statement of what's right. And we all know what's right, the truth. And it is so obvious. So, so. Oh, we need more companies, the tech community, energy companies, to step forward and bring the technology to help. As it's, you can get food and you can give medicines, but we need to empower the Ukrainian people with a technology to rebuild. And we have lots more tech companies need to be here. How does this conflict end? We're now seeing the situation where Republicans especially are trying to move away from continuing support for Ukraine. Do you really think that some of us knows by intent? <laughs> I wish I would know. But we have to stop saying that it's not working. Because first of all, we are making inroads, or the Ukrainians are making inroads. And we need the media to shine the light on all the good work that's being done to rebuild and all these efforts, this, the valiant fighting that needs to be put out there in the front every day because otherwise it becomes a background, oh, we're giving too much money. We should help our own people. No, this is the firewall of World War III, and Ukraine is the first defense. And we, all of us in the West, have to be supporting. It's essential. But the media needs to tell that story. I would just say, you know, that's for Ukrainians, just for the world to know, there is no other way except for the victory. And those who are in Ukraine right now, we know that sooner or later we'll be on the front lines. When we run out of people, we're all going to be at the front line fighting for the last bullet. So that's our attitude. We're not going to let it go. After everything we lost, after you know everything we've been through, we're going to fight till the victory. And this is a war of resources between two countries. But it's more than the war of resources is between good and evil. And it's not about Ukraine. It's about how the world functions. If Ukraine will lose, we will lose the way how the world was functioning after the World War II. So it's about basic rules. We want back our territories. Why should I keep my territories? I've been born in Donetsk. I was shit. Yeah, I, I was kicked out from there. I was raised in Crimea. My house in Crimea is occupied now. My house in Bucha was occupied. I can't run all my life. Sorry, I can I can add something. I work with two presidents, Zelensky and Pershanton. I was in Minsk negotiation. We really we we believe that we could agree with that. And European Union and United States tried to convince us that it's possible. It's impossible to agree with Putin. Never. Never ever impossible because his goal now clear to totally destroy Ukrainian identity. He never stopped. That's why it's not about negotiation and gives him piece of land. No, it's not enough for him. It just totally destroy Ukrainian identity and grab all that. It will be only vocation for him. One, two, three years. And then again, he will come back and he will be killing. That's why for whole civilized world, we should clearly understand this. Many people believe how this person in nice youth with a tie telling good things could be liar. And it's possible. He is evil, not liar. It's a pure evil. We should understand this. And in two weeks, you will see 60 minutes here about seeing Ukraine rescue missions, how we return and what children talking about 
this, how they were kidnapped. You actually need to look at the Budapest Memorandum of 1994 to understand how negotiations work. The premise of this is that peace that the, the, the Russians and us uh, swore to protect the sanctity of Ukraine's borders in exchange for their nuclear weapons. Uh, at that time, Ukraine was the third largest nuclear power in the world. In the interest of non-proliferation, they gave up a third of their resources, and uh, in exchange for our promise, hard promise, to protect the sovereignty and the sanctity of their borders. Russia was our partner. And sorry, you know what are the lessons we learn together? That we should stand in West on children, about critical thinking, about, about, about teaching them how what is a white, what is a black, what is a white? Yeah, because through technology, through propaganda, they brainwash a lot of people around the world. And for me, let me, one minute, what it's look like for me, it's through metaphor. If somebody come with a weapon to my house, kill me, rape my wife and kill, burn house, get out and then hear children's voices, going back, take kids from burning house. And next day, from another places, people come to his home, to, to, to that killer home. And they'll, what did you do? Why you killed this man and raped wife and killed and kidnapped children? What are you talking about? Look at my cameras. Cameras shows I'm going to burning house and taking kids from burning house. Mm. I'm saving kids. Look at this. Are you crazy? Why 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 are you why are you offending me or is it I'm criminal? I'm saving children. What is Putin's doing now? He's showing a picture how they are saving from the from combat zones, from hotspots, and feed them and give them passports, give them brilliant future. Guys, I'm saving these kids from burning the house. And this is hybrid war. This is propaganda. But it's very hard to reach people with the truth. Because in my centers all over Ukraine, I have thousands of families and children who go through a recovery program. I can tell you days, days about their lives, what happened with them. But how you can communicate with the, with the, American audience, the European audience, people don't want, people tire. Because people asked me this long ago when I first got involved, and they said, why are you getting involved? There's not a chance in elk. And I said, of course there is. A, the lie is too big. It's unsustainable. The lie is too big. And that's why I'm absolutely confident, absolutely confident of the other. The lie is just too large. The bedrock of Russian nationalism are the mothers of those cadets in those military programs who begged the, the heads of the school not to send their children. Their children are now missing. Their children have been missing for months because their children were the first wave to go. And they were told, as mothers were told, that we wouldn't send kids. And that's the bedrock of Russian assets. That's just one example of how when a lie is so big, it's impossible to... Sorry, I, sorry for interruption. Just... After our last rescue mission, one 16 years old girl, um, when we document crimes, she told, 
I've been in Moscow. It's from Kherson occupied territories. You've been in Moscow? Okay, what happened? Because me and my friends from that territory buses drew, drove to Moscow for conference. Guys, what conference? Yeah, we leave suburb. Five morning, we woke up and because it's huge traffic and we reach conference hall for four days from eight morning until eight evening, we were listening Russian politics. But four days, they brainwashed in Moscow our kids. What is this? What is this? They bring kids from occupied territories and brainwash them. I, I can tell you a lot of things about it, how they brainwash them. And on occupied territories now, it's very hard to live with your Ukrainian passport. It's impossible because Russians come in and tell if you will not receive Russian passport, we will deporting you. We will take off your kids. Yeah, uh, and from a family because many families, Ukrainian families, don't want send kids to Russian schools. But they know you must. But to send to Russian schools, you should receive Russian citizenship. Yeah, that's very hard to keep this conversation out of the political arena. Because it's all very important to all of us, but I want to remind everyone that uh, this panel is of people who are providing humanitarian aid and support to Ukraine. And uh, if there are any other questions in that, uh, I've got one from quickly. At Global Partners for Development, our mission is to advance community-led initiatives that improve education and public health in East Africa. We envision a world in which every East African community has the capacity to implement dynamic, sustainable solutions to the challenges they face. To learn more, visit gpfd.org.